my first robot, which I still have on my shelf, is called Tuesday. And the reason I call him Tuesday is because Tuesday was our crash space meeting days where everyone would come in, share our work, and we'll just have a meeting of what's going on through the week. They ended up becoming my favorite day of the week for a while. So I ended up naming a robot after that day of the week just because I enjoyed the meetup so much. Welcome to MakeCast. I'm Dale Doherty. MakeCast is brought to you by Make Community, which publishes Make Magazine. I interviewed Jorvan Moss in December 2020 via Zoom, and I wrote an article based on this interview, which is now the cover story in Volume 76 of Make Magazine. I had run into Jorvan at Maker Fair Bay Area, as well as at the downtown L.A. Maker Fair. He always had one of his robot creations on his shoulder. In this interview, I wanted to learn about how he got started making and get to know the person behind the robots and the goggles. He calls himself Odd Jay on Twitter because some people might think he was odd, but I think it makes him a really interesting person. Tell us about what you have on your head. These are my magpie goggles. I made them for fun recently. They are two irises that as you can see go in and out and also have like an eyebrow attachment for fun so they're just like a little fun gadget i put together really quickly over the weekend and yeah i just really love them like every like sci-fi movie always had a really cool like person with goggles so i always really wanted to make my own right and the I, steampunk <laughs> goggles were have to be part of an inspiration oh yeah definitely i love steampunk it's definitely a part of my inspiration especially these pair like i have my first pair that are like white and black for casual wear and then these are for steampunk wear uh, what is it reacting to right now it's just a random my like favorite cult that i use at this point for mostly all my projects so it's all random a little acting and a little here and there it makes it seem like it's doing a lot more than it is so it's not based on any received sensor data it's not nope. Okay. Not yet. I plan to do that later, but like I said, this was an accidental, just a quick build. And I was like, okay, this could be fun if I attach these two things together. Let's see what happens. And then it became way popular than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so I just ran with it. Just okay, I guess people like it. I guess I'll make another one just to see how it turns out. And then okay. got them like this. Yeah. I fix a few files and right. do a What are the components? They're all 3D printed. It's just two servos, really. Mm-hmm. That's about it. And everything else is pretty much mechanical. I have a small pulley system with a servo that pulls on the actual iris. So when it turns, it'll close the iris and lift the eyebrow. So little small things. It's the same on the other side as well. So, so it's, it's really a mechanical device. Yeah. Right? Steampunk is definitely more mechanical than like software programming. Right. So I took right. a number from that and right. focused most of my skills on mechanical movements than programming. <laughs> So the code is determining the opening and closing of the iris, right? Yeah, pretty much. It's a Adafruit trinket I'm using, and it has their tick servo code. And I just daisy-chained it with the servos, so they both move at the same time. And they just move at a random time every time it ticks. How, how long have you been building robots? Various I've been building robots systems? for about five years now, I want to say, because I started back in college. And I wasn't that good, of course, back then, but like I still count as my like beginning. Mm-hmm. I think only the last two years is when I've been able to have more of an understanding of how to build everything. I actually have a formula to get everything done now. That's interesting. I always thought about Maker so is you start doing it before you understand how to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. It's like an artist who starts drawing, even though they don't have a lot of training in doing that. 
I was in the art school in college when I was doing this. So I had no idea about electronics. So I was trying to make robots using plushies. I was trying to take plushies and try to install electronics in them, but I had no idea how electronics work either. So most of the time ended up things not working, things exploding, just a long trial and error run. <laughs> Moving from art to technology, what was the hurdle for you there? What was making it difficult? As an artist, what were you working with in art and, and like switching oh, over yeah. to start using robotics? In art, I was going to be a comic book major and I wanted to be a penciler. So most of my skill set was in using traditional art to draw panels and try to become like perspective, all those basic artist things that you see people sketching their sketch most of the time. But I switched all of that over to technology and the hurdle was just immensely crazy. I remember the first thing I did because I didn't know about microcontrollers back then is I bought a AA battery pack for uh, 12 AA batteries and I bought a single micro servo and I plugged the power pack directly into the servo. And as you can guess, the servo exploded. That was my first test into electronics. I still remember it because my roommate freaked out. He was like, what are you doing? You're trying to blow up the room. I'm like, no, I was just trying to do science. Mm -hmm. Comic book art is a very expressive thing. It's storytelling mm -hmm. as well. And it strikes me that some of the robots you're creating is they're characters in a way. Oh yeah, 100%. I definitely use a lot of my character design class in my work. I didn't really realize it until I think much later when I was uh, building my main familiar Dexter was I was like, oh, I'm actually using a lot of my character design class um, ideas while figuring out like how I want him to look, the colors I'm using, that type of thing, like posture, all of those things. Yeah. Tell us about Dexter. Dexter is my personal familiar. That is the uh, robot I want people to see me with often. Because I, of course, will always build more and other robots, but he's like my personal favorite. And the thing about Dexter is that I'm always improving him. I'm always upgrading him. So I feel like in a lot of ways, he's growing up. So a lot of people see him as my child. <laughs> so I keep um, changing him, making him bigger, adding new things, adding new mechanisms, adding new like abilities to him, switching things out, switching things in. It goes back and forth and I hopefully throughout my maker career ho hopefully when I get to your age then I can have a giant robot monkey because I just worked on him for like years continuously adding on to him did you have the idea for Dexter and then you start to build it or did you just start building things and yeah. you got to Dexter I started building things and got to Dexter my first real I want to say my first real robot that got popular was my robot spider Aussie that was like on my shoulder and I did the Maker Faire event in uh, San Francisco with them. But that was just me putting stuff together and hoping that it worked. Like mm -hmm. after San Francisco Maker Faire, he was 85% hot glue because he just <laughs> kept falling apart. It was just crazy how many times the robot kept falling apart on me. But I actually wanted to make a robot that was more representative of me as a person. So that's when I sat down and I thought of Dexter and I like went through a whole process of like choosing, I wanted to choose an animal. So I looked at a whole bunch of different animals, I ended up being down between a bunny rabbit and a monkey. And it was the two, they went back and forth for a long time. And then at the end, I decided to go with a monkey because like they're more curious compared to just a clever rabbit. So that's how Dexter came to be. That's nice. And as you said, he continues to evolve as you do. I am currently working on him right now as we speak. This is his sixth version, V6. I'm redesigning uh, his neck, 
make them have a better like neck control for lifting back and forth, more animatronic skills towards that, adding new lights to him. And I'm trying to make him be a wearable robot because of course, robot robots are one of my favorite things to be able to bring a robot with you places. But I'm designing him to be able to be worn on my person without me having a backpack. Because usually mm-hmm. I strap the robot to the backpack, but this mm-hmm. time I'm designing a way for that to no longer be an issue. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping to have it done before the year is up. <laughs> And next your 3D printed body and then some microcontrollers mm-hmm. and servos and the same suite of things that you've been working with, right? Yeah, my Fusion 360, and that's why I used to CAD all my parts because I taught myself how to CAD as well. Dexter's file is currently, I think, over 160 components because I just keep going in there and editing things and changing things and then adding things. And it's like the biggest file I think I've created thus far on Fusion just from going back and forth with it. Well, let's talk a little bit about like, wh- where'd you grow up and what kind of family did you grow up in? And where, did, are you from California? Yeah, I'm from California. I'm hundred percent Californian born. Yeah. I grew up in Compton with one of my parents, of course, my mom, dad, and my sister. We had family in San Francisco. So I got lucky enough to visit San Francisco here and there during like summers and random like vacations. We'll go to San Francisco and see other family out there and come back home. But mostly my family was very religious. So I had a very like religious background when it came to everything. I didn't have science as any part of my curriculum. Like most of my schools I went to were private schools and they always taught religion over science. So science was just not part of my schooling at all. So when I got to college and I found out that I can learn science, I was like, oh, this is fun. Let me continuously feed myself that things I should have known years ago. But you went to art school, right? You determined... You had creative talent? I didn't like school growing up at all. I'm a D student throughout most of my young life. I was barely under the bar. And it wasn't the lack of trying. I just wasn't interested in the work. So like I would spend most of my time reading something or drawing. And it got me in trouble a lot. But like I kept doing it to a point where college was like, hey, I might as well get a job in something that I love. So let me just go into art because there's nothing else I really want to do than draw things all day. Yeah, At least that's why I thought. In San Francisco, I went to the Academy of Art University. Did you start meeting people that were doing cool things that made you wonder what you could do? Not, well, 50-50. I met really amazing artists and creators and creative people. But of course, we're all in the same majors. So we're all about like art, animation, um, storytelling to a certain extent. We're all just in that world. I was mostly just focused on graduating because the school is super expensive and just for I can afford it, I had to do school full-time and work full-time. So by my sophomore year, I didn't really have that many friends or like time for friends. Not like I didn't want them. I was just, I had six hour like classes and then I have to leave from those six hour classes to an eight hour work shift and then have to go home for homework. So free time was just a mess. There was just no free time for most of my college time. I didn't have the college experience. <laughs> And so when you started getting into technology, were you still at college? I was in the dorm room where I made my first servo explode. (laughs) (laughs) You you laid down a path for yourself. Yeah, I definitely did. It was very surprising for me just to fall in love with it. But I think what ended up happening is after you've been drawing all day and doing school all day, and then your teachers are putting in your head that you have to draw, like you have to draw every day all the time. It got to a point where I wanted to do anything else with my free time, then draw. So anything else, I guess that's where the hobby of electronics came up. I was just like, hey, I kind of like this. Let me just take on this new hobby to see how I will enjoy it. And I ended up 
really loving it. And I'm taking it further and further until I may wear goggles like two weeks ago. What do you think is the relatedness between art, what you were doing, like drawing and creating and, and learning to do that and then learning to do robots and, and technology? I think it was just because the pressure was off. Like in school, they was grading. They were grading us as professionals. So like, a lot of the work was very, I want to say, anxiety driven. Because I was always really panicky about anxiety my work inducing. and about showing people my work. Yeah, hundred percent anxiety inducing. Then when it came to technology, it was just like people are surprised when you can get a simple servo to move. So it was very like, this is fun. I don't have to like be judged for it. I don't have to be tested for. It. I can just do the thing and be amazed if I succeed or fail. I love that. I was just like in love with it just because I was a judge-free environment. Then you finished college? Yeah, I finished college. I graduated with my illustration degree. And what did you do then? I went back home <laughs> and just kept tinkering. I was working like part-time jobs and just trying to figure out what I really wanted to do because I was so focused on graduating. I didn't sit down and work on my portfolio at all, my artist portfolio. Mm-hmm. So I was just like bouncing back from job to job while still teaching myself technology and engineering. And I was fixing my friend's laptops at one point and then doing other things like that. And that's how I ended up just in this place. I ended up getting a 3D printer. I had to save up for one, it took me a while. But my first 3D printer, I started printing things and posting it on Instagram. And of course, when you tag 3D printing, eventually someone is gonna notice you and someone noticed me like, oh, hey, this is really cool. You should go join a makerspace. And I was like, what's a makerspace? <laughs> I was introduced to the makerspace in Culver City here, a crash space. And yeah. that's where the journey really took off was when I got into the makerspace and I got really involved into the maker community. Mm-hmm. Because before then it was just a hobby. And then after that, I was like, this is great. I have people who are showing me all these new things. This is cool. Was that a path then that led you to a job? I'm a technician technically, but I work in manufacturing. The funny thing about this job is I got this job thanks to my crash space because a lot of people were working for the company, this company from our crash space. And one day I was walking by and one of my friends ran out to me like, hey, are you looking for a job? I said, yeah. So I ended up here. Can you say what they make? What manufacturing? We're manufacturing security systems. Nonetheless, even after getting this job... You continue work on Dexter and do your own, yeah. your own projects, going to the makerspace mm-hmm. and things like that, right? Originally, I got into it because in college, what happened is I had one free day where my class got canceled. So I was able to go get lunch for the first time. And they had a huge lunch room, of course. And I remember I went to get lunch and I sat down and all the tables were like filled with people. But like my table was the only table that I was eating by myself because no one knew who I was because I didn't really have any friends because I was so busy working all the time. And that kind of hurt looking back at it. I was like super lonely for a minute because I was like, I've spent so much time just trying to survive. I haven't actually experienced any like social connections. So after feeling that way and like taking a moment to think back, I ended up, I think I went home and watched uh, Star Wars or one of those other movies. It was a very sci-fi movie and I ended up loving it. And I was thinking to myself uh, how perfect that is because they have robot best friends in those movies. And I was like, that's genius. I will just built myself my own best friend. That's what kind of started the whole robot craze was just me like, oh, okay, I'm by myself. I can fix that. I I can build something towards that. So that ended up becoming a, a the spark of, which started. Loneliness led you to create robotic companions. Yep, pretty much exactly that. But 
I think, uh, if I not to put words in your mouth, but those robotic companions started making you friends. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I still look back at it, especially recently. I was looking back at this and laughing because a lot of the makers that I look up to, like uh, Sophie Wong, Alex Glow, Emily, whole, lots of great makers are my friends now. And I find that very interesting because I went from fanboy to friend just because I kept making more and more stuff. My first robot, which I still have on my shelf is called Tuesday. And the reason I call him Tuesday is because Tuesday was our crash space meeting days where everyone would come in, share our work, and we'll just have a meeting of what's going on through the week. They ended up becoming my favorite day of the week for a while. So I ended up naming a robot after that day of the week, just because I enjoyed the meetup so much. I presume growing up, you didn't know much about the maker community, or if anything at all, that you said you didn't know about maker spaces. How can we get more people? Yeah. How can we get more people in Compton? How can we get more people <laughs> around the world, really, involved here? What did you learn about that you could share with other people? I feel like if I had to share it, I would definitely be just introduced to them, like even in small ways, even in big ways, because... My schooling, I want to say K through 12, was so, all well, private religious schools, it was so enclosed from science that I didn't know what makers were even were. Like, I knew nothing really about science, about like technology or anything like that. And looking back, I came from the 90s. I feel like now, if you really want to get kids and more people from those like areas into things like that, just show up. If when I get invited, or at least when COVID is over, I get invited places again. If I get invited to a school or like some type of showing up at some kids rally or whatever, I'll do it because they just need to see like a person wearing a robot and they go, oh, what's that? And I'll be like, oh, look, this is, I have my robot Dexter. I'm a maker. This is what I do, blah, 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 blah. And just telling them that and showing them that inspires so much. One of the really great things that you've done with your, your robots is they generate conversation. People want to come up and talk to you. Oh, yeah. And they want to ask about yeah. what you've made, which I always thought that was the core of mm -hmm. being a maker is to be able to talk about what you've made. And really the core of Maker Fair was like, hey, people come up and they're curious about what you did and how you did it. That creates a connection to people. Oh, yeah. I love that feeling. Like even to this day, even though it's only like last year, but San Francisco Bay Maker Fair is still, the, I think, currently the highlight of my life. Every time I look back to that time. Is just still like one of the happiest times with the happiest weekend of my life because it was so fun and so creative and it was just so interesting. Very tiring, but at the same time, like I would love, I'm so waiting for like fairs and things to come back because I miss it so much. Like I miss the people, I miss the connections, I miss right. the awe and odes. Right. Does it also make you realize that you're not alone in having these interests and passions and, and creative oh, yeah. instincts? I really love maker community for the fact that everyone is so helpful. I had this on my Twitter a few times where like I'm having like a bad day or whatever. And then I get so many people coming to the rescue and I'm just like, oh my God, I feel so loved. <laughs> or if I can't figure something out, I can like ask the, the internet, hey, I'm working on this part of my robot. I can't figure out this. And then I'll get like an answer, like a few answers that could help me. So it's like having an invisible family. <laughs> where do you think you'll be in? five years or 10 years. That's a weird thing. I have been thinking about that recently and I really don't know as of yet. All I really know right now is I want to keep building things and I want to keep inspiring people. So if I can, I was thinking about getting more involved in social media and things like that. That way I can continuously show people and go to events and try to get more people inspired to continually build things and continuously grow. I, I hope to continually do, be doing that in the next five to 10 years. I hope even those little things that like you talk about going to classrooms and 
other things. I, I think you bring a lot of joy to people. Thank you for your time, Jorma, and, and good luck to you. Thank you. Please stay in touch and to see you in person someday soon. Yeah. Thank you for listening to MakeCast.